Welcome back to Bit Virtual Cisco Happy Hour. I'm Rick Live, I'm your host. Uh, this week I have Joe Bruffy and I have Clayton Smith, one of our exchange administrators, with us as panelists. And the topic this week is fishing, you know, everybody's favorite topic. So, you know, there's been a lot of things said about fishing. It's still, unfortunately, the most effective hack tool out there in the world. I mean, granted, a couple of years ago, we were at 20% fish rate. This year, we're, I think, 5% fish rate is the average. I still think 5% is a little low, in my opinion. But, you know, 5% is still a big, big hole in your firewall. I mean, your human firewall is, is a killer. So I'm going to let uh, Joe introduce himself and let Clayton introduce himself and give you a little background on it, I guess. Go ahead, Joe. Hey, I'm Joe Bruffy. I'm the lead security engineer and architect for Access Point Consulting. Uh, you know, I manage the email team, the security team, and uh, manage the strategy. Clayton? I'm Clayton Smith. I'm the Senior Change Administrator for Access Point. Uh, my job is to manage the email systems, but manage them from a security perspective. And most of that focuses around topics like phishing. Uh, so it's always always fun thing to do. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate you taking your time out, especially at 5 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, to meet with us and have this discussion. I really appreciate it. So, Clayton, let me start off with you. Let me ask you a couple of questions here. So first off, what are the most common types of phishing attacks that you see targeting our users? Yeah, the funniest thing is it's not the super advanced attacks that you're seeing. Uh, people make a lot of hay out of spear phishing and things like that. But the classic broadcast uh, phishing attempts that go out to millions of people, they continue to work and people continue to use them. Because they work. People respond to them, they click on them and whatnot. Yep, and I agree. So what are some telltale signs, Joe? Uh, in an email that can signal somebody that there's that they're looking at a phishing email, they're not looking at something legitimate. So, what are some of those telltale signs? Well, there's lots of telltale signs, such as you know, call to action, or you know, trying to say there's some emergency, uh, having links that go outside the organization, uh, you know, having people you don't normally talk to asking you for help. You know, there's uh, that's some fairly common. You mean I shouldn't buy a bunch of Google Play cards for you? Yeah, yeah no, that's the other thing. The last you buy it for me. That's cards and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's how, that that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Okay, awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, so phishing is one of the most prevalent you know, cybersecurity threats in to any organization, in my opinion. Now, as a CISO, I've seen this for many, many, many years. I remember back, oh my lord, back in like in the late '80s, early '90s, when email was just kind of starting to get around in everybody's desktop. And we would send each other jokes. And I mean, it literally started like that. And we started hoaxing each other. And I remember at uh, this uh, very large software company, I can't say their name, that I used to work for as a vendor. And we started doing a lot of that stuff there. We actually got the CEO to join in on some of that, which is interesting considering who the CEO was. Anyhow, so Joe, talk to me about how do you secure some of our users? What kind of training do you use? What kind of training do you feel is effective our users or what technology is effective to help us against phishing? Sure. There's lots of different compliance platforms and whatnot they can use, you know, such as, you know, know before, uh, you know, Proofpoint has their own flavor. So does Microsoft, or you can send out, you know, test messages and really get people to understand that, you know, hey, you clicked on this. It's better if they click on my, you know, fish email than uh, a, a real one. Um, you know, there, there's lots of ways to defend against it as well. Uh, as far as brand protection, but that's more on the outbound. Okay. But yeah, user awareness is probably your largest tool that, that you're going to that you're going to have. And Clayton, would you agree with that? That the user education is the most important tool? 
Absolutely. I mean, you can have the, the latest and greatest tools. You, you can have the latest and greatest teams, but you're never going to hit 100%. And that user education, even, even if, it's at, if it's at a basic level, you know, uh, telling people that if somebody's trying to trick you emotionally into doing something, it's just great. And that's your last line of defense. And often it's your best line of defense. Yeah, the sense of urgency always. Yep. Or do you take an action? Mm-hmm. So does our email security software detect and filter out any phishing emails before they reach users? Oh, tons. <laughs> tons and tons and tons. A uh, substantial portion of, of traffic, you know, along with spam and, and other unwanted, but it's uh, it's comprising a greater and greater amount of traffic while legitimate traffic dwindles. Okay, awesome. So, Clayton, tell me some of the uh, platforms that enterprises can use or some of the tricks that enterprises can use to filter out some of this email, you know, the junk, junkware, the garbageware, the, this, the uh, malware that comes in through email. How do you, some of the organizations filter the stuff out? You know, I think a lot of people are out. They they want to go. They want to buy the latest, greatest tools. They want to go spend a bunch of money. Um, even if you're a, a basic Microsoft customer and you put in something as simple as a banner saying this is originated from uh, an outside of the organization. Very, very easy, free stuff. Um, things like email uh, rules saying, hey, if it has our domain and, and didn't originate from our domain uh, or from our tenant, block it. Very, very simple stuff. Um, you know, any vendor is going to have more and more complicated tools. Uh, but I really think really knowing the tools you have, setting them up properly and really spending the time with them is the best thing you can do. I mean, okay. every every single tool has different little bits and bobs. But knowing the tool, understanding the tool, feeding that back into your threat modeling is, is really the best thing you can do. So would, would you say that, how would you use DMARC authentication? So I'm trying to take these these discussions just a little bit more technical than we've been in the past. So. I'd like to actually start talking a little bit about DNS, DMARC, et cetera. Um, so Clayton, can you walk us through what is the point of email security through DNS? How can we protect ourselves or organizations with DNS records in any way, shape, or form? Explain what a DMARC is, sure. et cetera. So you know, if you think about email, just backing up a little bit, email is a technology that's been built on over, what, 30, 30 some odd years now. So you, you started off with this very basic messaging where you had very implicit trust. Uh, and we, we're at where we're at now, where anybody can stand up an email server and try to send as, as any organization in the world. I can try to send as Microsoft. Um, so what we do now is you have a couple of different records you can put in your DNS. Uh, number one, we'll start with the basic, is, is Center Protection Framework. It's SPF record. Uh, it says that, hey, I use this email vendor to send emails, or I send emails from this IP address. If you don't see uh, the email originating from one of these sources, please disregard it. Um, that's really the most basic thing you can do, I think, right now, as far as DNS records. You plop that in there, and that informs your sender that maybe this email is not legitimate. Um, very easy to do. You know, quick Google search to tell you how to do it. Um, email, or, uh, if you're a Microsoft customer, you know, a nice click through, even connects with your DNS, tells you exactly how to do it, puts records in there for you. You know, from, then, from there, you can move on to uh, DKIM signing, which is really just a cryptographic key that you're signing your email messages with. Um, so when it goes out of your email server, you know, outbound, signs it with that key, and then you have a DNS record saying, hey, if this message doesn't match this public key, this, uh, this message is not legitimate. Again, and, uh, you know, it just tells the, the sender to disregard that. So all that rolls into the, the DMARC record. Um, and there's a couple of different pieces there, but, you know, fundamentally it says you can kind of authenticate with an SPF, you can authenticate with a DCAM record. But the DMARC record is going to tell your recipient what to do with that email. 
So if your DMARC record, like some of our clients says reject, it means we have a very good grasp of where our email comes from, what services we're using. And if it doesn't come from one of the services that the client says it comes from, get rid of it. Um, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, you can get into a whole lot of other stuff like macros and that kind of thing in your SPF record if you have very complex email setups. But for a lot of people, taking, say, an hour and setting up those basic things will just do absolute wonders for not only them, but their partners as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't, I can't agree more. I can't possibly agree more. That enabling MFA for using before they can even get to their email when, they, when, when they actually access their email. That's always helpful too, in my opinion. So, uh, so how, so Joe, how do you, how do you test? How do you ensure that your email systems are secure? How, or how do you ensure phishing can't get through? What kind of external pen testing do you do? What kind of testing do we do? How do we know that our efforts are effective? Well, I mean, you can see how many emails have been rejected. Uh, if you set up with DMARC and you have a provider, you can actually see where you have, if somebody's spoofing your domain. Uh, another thing you can do is obviously, you know, you, you run, you can do regular pen tests. Uh, you could also send out. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of the biggest thing that, yeah. that you can. You hammer on it and figure out how to break it. I mean, honestly, yeah, that's yeah, it. That, that, that's a lot of everything that's hammering on until you break it. But, you know, the thing is that, I mean, DMARC's not for inbound email, except if somebody has it set up for their right. domain. Yeah. So while that, that will protect people or our brand, you know, and, that, and that's a big thing. You know, if somebody spoofs, you know, somebody's brand, they can lose a lot of, uh, a lot of money due to yeah. the loss of faith and trust. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If your reputation shot, it's uh, it doesn't do you much good to be very good at fishing. But in our in yeah. our day to day doing work with Access Point and the various clients, when we work with them on a partner uh, for one of the clients that's been compromised, you know that partner is their their brand is seriously damaged for a very long time, and so having this stuff set up really helps prevent that. So, how do you monitor for suspicious activity, Clayton? Lots and lots of alerts, first off, um, but these days that doesn't get you very far. Uh, if you're if you're a human responding to alerts, you know you're you're wasting valuable time. So, yeah. with us, uh, we use any kind of automated tooling we can, and that really goes back to understanding your tools. Uh, so, any kind of automated uh, defense response, pulling the email, um, and then alerting your team for a further investigation, I'd say that gets you probably eighty percent of the way there. Because, I mean, you're going to have stuff that comes in, it's, it's benign, it doesn't look like anything, and then an hour later, hey, that link's malicious, it's going to the latest you know, malware with a zero day on. Yeah. So uh, any kind of automated tooling you can put in place, uh, then alerting your team, that's, that's how you win on that. Uh, and, and as a CISO, one of the things that I always like to you know, talk to the end users about is making sure they've got a reporting mechanism. So if something does come through to the end user, they've got a way to Absolutely. let the email administrator know that something sure. came through that dates. It smells funny, tastes funny, whatever. They don't want to open it. You know, the, having that reporting mechanism, in my opinion, as a CISO, it's critical. So, <laughs> you disagree with that, Bob Joe? Uh, not at all. I, it's definitely critical. Uh, there's uh, every platform has their own flavor of it. Uh, making sure that you can have one that can you know, do as many kinds of reporting as possible. Because you know, there's obviously there's phishing, there's malware, there's spam, there's there's lots of different things. I mean, not every bad emails of fish not every you know not every fish is you know 
spam or whatever. Like it, it's not. I have not written usually. a lot of bad emails in my lifetime. I understand. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then having AI. I mean, AI is being leveraged a lot in machine learning uh, yeah. and some new tools. You know, like Darktrace and Proofpoint, for example, use machine learning in the back end. So they'll they'll even bounce messages against that uh, repeatedly and and recheck it in the future. You know, as as emails are. You know, sent in. You know, so if you, you you report it, you know, say for proof point, it'll actually send it in. They'll automatically check it if they if it's undetermined. They'll uh, have have an analyst look at it, mm-hmm. and then if it turns out to be a fish, they add that to their data, and then they'll rerun all the emails in the last you know day or two, and they'll even pull the emails for you. That uh, yeah, you that's know, an amazing thing. Yeah, it, it's uh, and, and there's other vendors that do that as well. You know, as I mean, even Mimecast and Darktrace and probably every other uh, major vendor out there has you know, a way to pull an email uh, automatically. So let's talk a little bit, a little, little deeper, Clayton. So when you are, you're the email administrator for a very large organization. And as such, you have privileged, ac- you have privileged access. You have privileged identity management access, you've got privileged account management access, you've got service accounts that you would have to manage, et cetera. How would you recommend it to somebody, another administrator, maybe somebody younger up and coming or an organization that's younger organization, how would you advise that they manage their, they limit their privileges? How would you advise or what would you advise around permission, uh, excuse me, permission privileges? Wow. I really spit that one out bad. <laughs> Let's start that one over. So you know, how would you limit privileges or how would you recommend limiting privileges? So, you know, especially with a, with a new organization, you're moving so fast. You know, the, the thing is like, let's, let's get this account stood up. We'll give it to, we'll give it to this guy. This guy has godlike powers. Um, and I, honestly, across an organization, stop that, you know, uh, take, <laughs> take five minutes and say, okay, who needs what? And again, I, you know, I know I'm harping on this understand your tools what roles yeah. do what and so you have your break glass accounts you know um in case something happens you have your, your account with these godlike powers but for me day to day one of the regular conversations i have is i don't need this anymore get rid of it because i don't want to yeah. be a big target on somebody's radar so when you're an up-and-coming organization when you're or if you're a, a younger person what are you trying to say you trying to say i'm not young anymore um <laughs> but just really limiting that um to what you do day to day, you know, if you don't, if you do something once a week, cool, pim into it. Uh, or, you know, if, if this is a once a month task, use your break glass, something like that, but minimize that attack surface that you have personally. And the biggest challenge there is everybody kind of wants to accumulate power. They want to be able to just reach in and do something in an instant. And especially for a young organization, overcoming that's a challenge. So how do you, let's let's talk about that for a second. So and let's let's get all the technology. Let's get into people side because honestly, as the three of us know, technology is easy, right? It is. It's just easy. It does what you tell it to do. It's stupid. It's dumb. It only does what it's told to do, right? Humans are the hard part, right? So how do you deal with a user, or how would you recommend dealing with a younger organization where the CFO comes in and says, "I don't give a crap. I pay the bills. I want access. I need it right now to everything, whatever everything is." How do you deal with that? specifically around email what do you how do you educate these people this is not the right approach 
So, you know, fundamentally, if I'm coming in as a contractor, if if they absolutely demand it, hey, that's what it is, they're going to sign a letter with uh, just detailing the risk. Yep. Uh, you know, that's going to go in a safe somewhere. And that covers me, right? But the biggest, the bigger thing is, and, you know, the you want to build long-term partnerships. So yes. You don't want to go to war with someone. Absolutely. But you want to tell someone, hey, you know, I see you on LinkedIn as the CIO of uh, this organization. If I see you with a 30-second search and, you know, with some other information here, I can put together a very basic dossier on you. What do you think an attacker is going to do? They're going to come gunning for you. Well, if you don't have this access and you can work with us, develop a process to get the information you need, you know, you're making yourself a much smaller target. You're making your organization a much smaller target. And I mean, these days when all it takes is is one zero day and a click, anybody you can work with like that to minimize their attack service, especially in the C-suite, especially at the VIP level. I mean, that that's worth really however much time you want to dump into it because it's just, it pays such big dividends. Okay. And how do you identify all your users um, that are attacked with phishing emails, for example? So if you're checking your system, how do you know who's been attacked? Do we have any me- any mechanisms to know that Joe or Rick were attacked last week or yesterday or today? Do we have any mechanisms like such as that? So, you know, that gets into your tools. Um, whatever tool you want to use, uh, Mimecast has a Barracuda, uh, H- yeah, uh, Defender. They all have different ways of doing that. They all have pretty graphs. You can go and look at any of those pretty graphs and it'll tell you over the past you know time period, hey, this person was uh, you know, attacked by credential uh, theft emails, or maybe they're uh, being targeted specifically by malware. Um, any tool can tell you that. And so that's not even the biggest part of it. The biggest part of it is how do you feed that back into, again, your, your threat modeling? Who are you giving that information to? Because if I'm sitting here looking at a graph, that means nothing to me. You know, it, it means, okay, yeah. I'm going to pay attention to this person's emails a little more. But am I feeding this back into our, your patching folks, uh, your, your, all of your threat folks, so that they can go and say, hey, this person's using uh, Adobe uh, of this version. We've got this malware email coming in targeting this CVE. That's where you're, you're making a difference. And, you know, any tool can tell it to you. So how close do you work with threat hunters every day? Um, you know, on the client that I work with the most for APT, uh, we have, we have one of the, the chief threat hunters. I'm not going to name drop him. No, but, no, that's um, fine. <laughs> he, uh, he's in our chat. And when anything interesting comes in, it is it is an immediate collaboration. And that's how you affect change quickly. Because you can't just say, okay, well, hey, we'll, we'll address this next week when you don't know if the next email is going to be a little better crafted and it slides right through. You just hit something that I see as a CISO that is a critical vulnerability in every single organization I've ever seen, including I've worked at places like Microsoft in the past, right? I spent five and a half years at Microsoft. And one of the biggest things I've seen in every organization is communication. And you just touched on that. And having that chat session open, having your threat hunters and your email administrators working together, that is a phenomenal thing that Access Point offers. That is fantastic. Absolutely. I love hearing that kind of stuff because communication, like I said, is really the biggest problem any organizations ever have. I mean, honestly. This is the beginning of time, really. Yeah, right? So, Joe, how do you, how often do we update our software? I mean, is that even critical? I mean, not just the workstations, but also the server side. Being in a cloud environment or being in a uh, hybrid environment, how do you manage that? How do you know that your software is kept up to date, that your rules are kept up to date? How often do you keep update your spam rules? How, how do we do these things as an engineer? Well, so there, there's a lot of things like a lot of the spam rules are fairly automatic now, but there are there are some 
you know, if you see, uh, you know, certain actors or indicators of compromise, you know, uh, you can add that to, uh, you know, to your list, you know, to your block list, say, okay, I don't want to accept emails from these IPs or from these people or with these subjects, you know. Um, another thing that you can do, obviously, is updating your software. So if you have your vulnerability program uh, set up, um, you know, even even Microsoft has, and, and Defender has, you know, QualiScan built in, you can get all sorts of information there. Uh, based on that, you can then take your very attack persons list, no matter where what tool it comes from, and you can make sure that those people are updated on a regular basis. And these things aren't even that difficult to, you know, say pull the data from an API and, and automate those lists. So you can look at the reports and have, you know, a, a merge report that says, okay, we got to make sure we hit these, these first because these people are attacked, you know, three times a day, five times a week, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, you, you make sure to get them updated as soon as possible. Right. And so that's on the workstation end. How often do we check our servers? I mean, honestly. Oh, constantly. Well, it depends. So <laughs> obviously on servers, you can't always update right away. You know, there's some older legacy software right. that says, okay, this is the most recent version of Java, which is the last thing I ever want to hear is that there's a version of Java that's in the environment. Um, They'll, you know, it'll be, okay, we can't go past the service pack or we're end of life and we also don't develop the software anymore. That, that happens very often. I mean, I've even as recent as a year ago, we've had clients with machines that are, you know, from Windows 2000 uh, or even earlier. I, I saw an NT4 wow. uh, just two years ago. And so, you know, obviously those haven't been patched in, you know, 17 years or 20 years. Yeah. I remember but, those but they still but they still exist. And that's that's where the problem comes in is if you get a fish email and it's zero day on your machine, so you know, you launch something for an internal machine for log4j. So you send your craft link because they know you have log4j and now all of a sudden that server's compromised and there's you know users that are logged in that are always administrators that it can then spread from machine to machine and all of a sudden you know they own your network. Uh yeah, so Clayton, very very possible. So my my next question is to Clayton. Clayton specifically, and, and well, let me let me rephrase that. Not specifically, generically. What type of well, you know what what incident response remediation steps do we take when you see a successful phishing email reaches an end user? So that really goes back to to automation first. Again, if you're if you're moving with people, you're moving too slow, and so that's that's the biggest thing. Um, you got to have, I mean, just like you have EDR on an endpoint, you know, your, your email platform has to take any intelligence it gets, reach in and remediate oh. that email uh, immediately. And so on that side, you're erring towards false positives. If you snag an email for a few minutes, take that little bit of extra time to look at it and put it back. That's fine. You know, that it, it, with the exception of certain very high volume automation mailboxes or something like that, you can spare a few minutes because the, the, yeah cost of failure is so very high. Yeah, um, from there, you know, it's really comes down to looking at your, having your team look at it. Um, verifying this is an email, okay, or this is a phishing email, feeding that back into your email system via whatever mechanism you have with your tool. Um, you know, Proofpoint has, uh, you know, they, they go in, they report false negatives. Uh, with Mimecast, you can go back in and, and report as a phishing email, report as malware. They actually do take that quite seriously. Um, any of the tools uh, can do this. And so it's having that process nailed down and following it consistently. 
I yeah. think that's the biggest challenge that I've seen is, you know, when you stand up a tool, you're like, okay, hey, cool, we're going to do this. And then nobody ever does it. So getting that automation and then having a consistent process with your team, uh, the details vary, but that's what it is. So what post-incident what, what post analysis do you run or do you use to improve future phishing detection? So with the tools that we have, a lot of it, like as Joe alluded to, it feeds back into machine learning uh, where they're just, they're banging these emails against the machine learning constantly. So post-analysis, you go back, you know, the biggest thing is feeding it back to that vendor so that they can run it against their machine learning. That, that's the biggest thing. But for a lot of the stuff you see on a day-to-day basis, this garden variety, you'll go back and say, did it come from this IP? Are we accepting emails from this geographic location? Um, you know, is there some kind of consistent software being used to say generate the documents for a particular phishing campaign? And then you can often target the metadata inside of a document. And it's a degree of whack-a-mole, but if you're looking to stop a particular campaign, it's pretty effective. There's a lot of stuff you can do. <laughs> so, Joe, what if any gaps? Are, do you typically find in phishing defenses with our, with companies with their or email system to be cloud based or on prem based? Well, funny enough, you say that. Uh, usually, most companies don't have. I mean, they're getting better at it, but they don't even have an education program for their users uh, to even understand what it is. They don't have a reporting mechanism. They don't have. They don't leverage. You know, uh, AI or machine learning. Uh, they're trying to do everything manually. Because yeah, there there's a lot of tools that are manual yeah. that that can be effective, but if you have a lot of staff and if you're a startup, that's not going to yeah. be very effective. So selecting a an email gateway that has those tools or using Azure and turning those tools on, because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's just not turned on, they have it. You know that that's probably another big gap is configuration, not leveraging uh, DMARC. That is very very underutilized. <laughs> Yeah, uh, or they utilize DMARC and they have it as accept, which means it may as well not be there. You know, and uh, yeah, so misconfiguration is probably the largest issue, and then of course not having the proper tool set yeah. after that. And, and Clayton, what kind of phishing attacks are, are emerging that we need to prepare prepare for? Whew. You know, it's funny to talk about this because some of it I don't even know how we're going to handle it yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, this is coming it's, from an expert who I actually believe is an expert, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, people talk about AI. They talk about chat GPT, large language models. Um, the trick with that is you're now able to take someone's mailbox, uh, take any kind of compromised mailbox, feed it into one of those models, especially with the models that are uh, coming with larger and larger and larger memory. Uh, memory. Um, you can feed so much more data into them and then you can kick out an absolutely perfect phishing email tailored to an issue they're already aware of. And, you know, it's, it's perfect. You know, and, and for somebody like me going and looking at it, I have to look at where this link points to, what infrastructure does it point to. Uh, and it's very, very difficult. The, the AI stuff is going to be very, very difficult to take care of. And I think the biggest thing we do is go back to our users and say, is this something you would expect? You know, if you've had a conversation with Bob, and you guys are just having a, a casual conversation and then Bob drops a document link on you. Is this something you really expect? Because even with AI, even with whatever else comes down the pipe, you know, consistency is, is the key. Is this something that you're expecting this person to be telling you? And from there, you, you report it. You know, give it, give it to us. We'll take care of it. 
And you think consistency is really the key, in my opinion. I mean, yes. it's consistency across the tools, across the automation, across the end user training, across, across the uh, organ, uh, enterprise as a whole, the absolute consistency of, of explaining what phishing is. The constant, because it's constantly evolving, right? It's not the same thing. You know, the, the Nigerian prince, you know, he, he died a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then well, he, he raises his ugly either. head. He's resurrection, but you know. <laughs> so, okay. So, in the end, what would you recommend, Clayton, as the top three things that you would want an organization to know as an email administrator to help them block phishing, to help them identify phishing, to help them stop phishing? What are the top three things you would recommend? Well, I think it's going to be a bit different, but number one is use the tools you've got. The chances are you've got things you can turn on. Just like Joe said, you know, know and use the tools you've got. Go out and, and, and Google it even because there's always tips and tricks, yep. especially for a smaller organization who's not on a big budget. Um, and also, don't just go spend a bunch of money without knowing how to turn it all on. Um, engage Thank with you. Experts. That's where I was going to go. Yeah. yeah. You know, engage with experts, even if it costs you a little bit of money in a, in a budget-strapped environment. Buy a few hours, talk to somebody who can give you that initial push, get you started. I mean, a lot of times when you have a tool that comes with your stand-up, take advantage of it. And uh, I mean, I think the, the uh, you know, we've hammered on this a lot, but the final one is education, education, education. Your users yeah. are your final line of defense. If that line of defense consistently fails, it may as well not be there because the technology is never going to be perfect. Now or 20 years from now, your users are your last line of defense. Train them well. Train them well. Very good. That's a, that's very good. That's very good advice there, Clayton. Clayton honestly, it really is. Yeah, that's my advice to everyone, right? My advice is I don't care how much you invest. It doesn't matter to me. You're never going to stop at all. You're not. The only way to catch fish, phishing emails, is truly is to educate your users. And then not only just tell them what it is, but what do they do with that email? You know, I've seen organization after organization after organization, somebody will get a phishing email and they'll send it to everybody. Hey, look here, guys, look, look, look out for this email. And now they've just propagated, you know, this phishing email, this attack a hundredfold internal to the organization that, that that's brutally. We tough. deal with that every day, every single day. Yes. And that's, that's tough. Joe, what three to five things would you want an organization to understand about email and phishing and how to maybe block it or how to avoid it or how to recognize it, what to do with it. What, what would you offer, Joe, as your last three or five things you want people to know? Uh, well, I, I think configuration is going to be the, uh, you know, the, the, the ongoing thing uh, today. Um, if, you're, if your solution is not configured, it's, it's not complete. I mean, you could spend all the money in the world like, oh, I bought these tools. I don't have to do anything. It's like, well, no, you have to manage the tools. Uh, uh, Making sure you audit, you know, your tools on a regular basis. Make sure that the configuration is correct, or that if there's a better best practice, because that that does change. Like, you know, it used to be better to do X, not better to do Y, kind of kind of scenario. Yeah. Um, another thing is, if possible, you know, utilize machine learning and and uh, you know automation. Uh, you can. How would somebody do that? I'm going to interrupt you for a second, Joe. How would somebody use AI or machine learning? What specifically or most of specifics can you give our our listeners? Well, there, there's a few things. So there's lots of tools that have it built in. Um, yeah, so Proofpoint has their own engine. Uh, you know, Darktrace has Antigena. Uh, you have your, you know, Mimecast has their own, their own setup. Uh, 
you know, uh, and those do a lot of the stuff for you. Now, the, the one thing that it doesn't do for you, so, you know, Antigena has a specific thing where you can build different models yourself by learning how to build those models. So you're not just on a stock configuration. Yeah, so if your threat models are all stock, somebody will know how to get around them potentially because they'll know, okay, if I start doing two five seconds. at a time, but I do it too many days in a row, it's going to be a problem. So I'll just stutter here and there. And they can go on detective because they'll know that, okay, this is a standard standard place. Or they can go on the user's machine and say, okay, I've seen the behaviors. Now I'm going to you know get around that. So, I mean, there are there's plus and minuses to it. I mean, you still need threat hunters, you still need people. That's where um, I was going with that specifically. You've got to have your people trained. Yeah, if you've got to have the right staff, the right skill sets. Yeah, because people discovered it, people built it, and it's built on models that are known. So if you take and you feed it information, you know, okay, these are these are the different scams. These are which is really what it comes down to is it's all it's all two thousand year old scams. I mean, none of these are new, and uh, they. The closest thing to do is they use the gift cards now, but whatever, you know, that's not the, not the point. But, um, you, you know, they, we know what those are. If somebody comes up with a new scam or a new angle on that scam, you're just not going to see it. So you need to look for it. You need to say, okay, what would I do? What data is here? And how would I use that, uh, you know, to infiltrate this company? And if it's not in the models, they're not <laughs> going to catch it. And right. it gets down to also sometimes three lows is a high, you know. But that's another thing to have threat hunters look at. You know, what's the cadence? What's the normal? Yeah. So for the end users, I would recommend it. You know, enforcing MFA. Plain and simple. Getting into the email system, getting the system. That, that's yeah, just basic one on one. And even though MFA as as a system, so I can get around MFA. I know how to steal a you know an authenticated cookie, but not very many people know how to do that. I probably shouldn't say that out loud. How to do that? Um, but investing in the right technologies, educating your employees, prioritizing your privileged accounts, your system, your your, your uh, service accounts, and reporting suspicious emails. Those are my five top things as a system that I try to look at and try to educate folks on. So awesome. Yeah, Any pa- closing? Pass keys. <laughs> <laughs> pass keys are cool. Pass keys are up and coming. Yeah. Yes, they are. Absolutely. You know, one of the, the last closing statements I wanted to say when you're doing these uh, phishing education training and you're working with your users. It cannot be a punitive thing. You, you can't take your users and beat them over the head if they fail the first phishing email they've ever seen. Uh, um, those campaigns, it is a learning exercise. Go to your users. Hey, here's what you did. Here's what we're seeing. You're not trying to make them feel dumb. The communication line to them is, here's what we're seeing. We want to know how everyone responds so that we can better arm ourselves. A lot of organizations I've with really throughout my career, you know, you fail a phishing test, you get beat over the head. Don't do that. Make it an educational experience. Make it a positive experience. And make sure your users are comfortable coming to you when they think they may have clicked something. Because if they think it's a test and they think they're going to get you know, chastised or quote-unquote beat over the head, you've lost a valuable intelligence stream. So I really just wanted to close with that and uh, out there for every organization that's watching. Yeah. I've worked for a uh, organization that deals with prisons and jails and they actually bonus people for showing up and saying hey look i found this and which was great it, it about killed the it staff some days which which is fine because i don't know a single it guy i don't know a single email person a single CISO that won't stop and drop everything 
to yes. look at an email if there's a potential issue. I don't know anybody would say, you know what, I don't have time for that. I really don't. So the, the culture, as Clayton's alluding to, needs to be positive. It needs to be reprehensible. You, know, you need to repre- you know, reprimand people, particularly if they're consistently a problem, if they're consistently just ignoring it. Um, and, and I'll say this, I won't say the salesperson's name, but I know a sales guy that will click on absolutely any email you send him. He will open everything, every link. He does not care because see, there's a buck at the end of that, to, you know, there's a dollar at the end of that chain, right? And, and he'll do it. That person needs to be properly managed. Let me, let me rephrase that. Rather than discipline, properly managed, right? You set their expectations that, you know, if you consistently do this and you don't follow company protocol, that there will be repercussions. However, to Clayton's point, it has to be a positive environment until you get that person just says, I don't care anymore. I'm going to click everything. Yeah, just my Yeah, there's also one more thing you can do with that. Uh, so users that are heavy clickers or very attacked, you could actually put them into an isolation environment. That when they click on the email, it's actually executing on a remote machine. Uh, so it doesn't have to be for everyone. It can be controlled, you know, even, even automatically uh, with some systems. And, and there's a few that I've seen, uh, a few different vendors that, that will do that. But awesome. yeah, leverage your tools. Leverage. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize click, if you have Proofpoint, yeah. you have isolation for VAPs, for very mm-hmm. tagged persons. And a lot of people don't uh, ever set it up. He's been beating us up with just know your tools, know your tools, know your tools. And actually, he's absolutely 100% correct, folks. He really is. Know the tools that you have. You probably have the solution and may or may not realize it. So, again, Clayton, Joe, I appreciate everything, guys. Thank you very much. Hope everybody has a good evening. Folks out there listening, these guys are awesome. I've worked with these guys for a long time, and they are phenomenal. Hopefully, we'll have Clayton back on at some point in the future and Joe back on as well. So, thank you very much, folks. Have a good evening. Yeah, thank you.